Noise Nation. Season's greetings, fellow North Pole elves. No, you don't want to be South Pole. That's where all the angry elves are. Everyone knows that. Welcome to a most festive installment of Device Nation, the voice of operative orthopedics. Yesterday was literally national answer the phone like Bud of the Elf Day. A really awkward scenario for me, given no one who had called me had seen the movie. And yes, I said season's greetings, not season's beatings. After the year many of you had, the latter might be more accurate. So relax, grab some candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup if you've got it. I've got hot chocolate, a roaring fire going, and a classic Christmas poem just for you. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the place, not a rep would be sleeping, so worried about the case. The trays had been wrapped and central with care. Morning's light would reveal what holes might lie there. A complete set of implants weren't under the tree, as backquarters had claimed another tibia size three. So with surgeon in toga and I in red cap, medial parapetellar would expose the kneecap. When out into receiving, there arose such a clatter, I ran from the room to see what was the matter. Away to the dock, I flew like a flash, ran over the director, knocked him on his ash. When what to my wondering eyes did appear, a shiny red van holding implants so dear. With a jolly old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Rick. More rapid than debits, his coursers they came. He whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Zimmer, now Stryker, now Smith and Nephew. On Arthrex, on Globus, Conformus, and Depew. I heard him exclaim as he backed away slow, Merry Christmas to all. Now get that P.O. Speaking of St. Nick, my courier's name is actually Rick, so it'd be St. Rick, I guess. A real man he was. St. Nicholas, allegedly the Bishop of Myra in the 4th century, was known for his generosity and kindness, which gave rise to legends of miracles he performed for the poor and unhappy. I am so excited to bring the story of a real-life Surgeon Santa in the form of Dr. Paul Fellers, who's been bringing generosity, kindness, and orthopedic miracles to the poor and unhappy for decades. You're going to want to hang around for that. Well, it truly is the most wonderful time of year. We kicked off a new series entitled Joy and Pain in the middle of the Christmas season. On a side note, it embodies just that for so many, doesn't it? Ever since a nurse broke out in tears when I asked her how Christmas went, I've learned need to be a little extra sensitive this time of year, right? The joy and pain we're looking at, though, has nothing to do with family gatherings. No, we're talking about it in the context of retention. Remember the formula? You heard it here first. Retention, how long reps hang around in this space, equals joy, the numerator, over pain, the denominator. Don't you just love remedial math? A lot of joy on that top number and not a lot of pain on the bottom. And you have yourself an improper fraction, a number greater than one. Nobody wants to leave, kind of like working at Steris. But when the joy number on top is low and the pain number on the bottom is high, then you have yourself a proper fraction, a smaller number, certainly less than one, which can create a retentional, wide-open back door. Well, we're going to leave all that pain stuff at the door this episode as I want to bring you tidings of great joy. <laughs> great word there, by the way. Tidings means news or information. Let's open up that word joy, the numerator, for just a moment, a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Certainly something my cat Penny is experiencing right now as I scratch her head and serenade her with lame interpretations of Christmas poems. She always shows up when I turn on the mic. 
She's looking for the joy, and she invariably gets it and gets me all relaxed for some reason. Up until that point, she gets overstimulated and bites me. What is that all about? Obviously, joy and pain. Well, we can learn from Penny the cat here. She's very intentional about looking for the joy, and so it is for you and me, as it can be a sheer act of will just to find joy, can it? One rock star device rep I know that walked out that retentional back door not too long ago, he is loving life and forklift sales. I asked him how business was, and of course he said up and down. His work gives us a great metaphor here, right? If joy is dependent upon what happens to you, then there you are, Mr. and Mrs. Forklift Driver, up and down. I'll say it again for the reinforcement. If joy is totally dependent upon what happens to you, expect a lot of up and down in your life. So how do I find this so-called joy, Kevin? Well, don't look at me to scratch behind your ears. I'm not going to do it. Just remind yourself regularly of why you got in this job in the first place, the amazing people we get to work with every day, all the things that are going right. I will not allow things like back orders, commission rates, corporate decisions to steal my joy. Those things belong in the denominator, and we, just like a fraction, we need that line between the two, a firewall, so to speak. Acknowledge the pain, but not let it steal our joy. And there it is right there. Know that joy, for the most part, is a choice. And honestly, it's a word worthy of a mnemonic. Every word is worthy of a mnemonic on Device Nation. Joy! Jay, look, if no one has told you this this year, I'm telling you right here, right now, job well done. I know many of you have been tempted to deck somebody's halls this year, jingle somebody's bells. Look, this is a stressful job when we have all the inventory in the world and commissions are high and debits are low. So to my amazing listeners, I just want to encourage and thank you for the incredible effort you put forth this year to field these cases. Let's look at O as we finish up a year of, oh my, let's all take a deep breath and reflect on what's going on in our space right now. When I started, there were only three curtains to choose from at the Ortho Game Show. Now, there's close to 100. I got a text from a real rock star with one of the big companies the other day, and he was so excited about a product we were able to connect him with through Sideline Saturday. He is crushing it and so excited to be a sales rep again. Remember selling? So, of course, our O word is opportunity. Look around. Get excited about this job again. Let us know if we can help. Sidelinesaturday at gmail.com. Lastly, why for you? You are not an undertaker. The complainers don't listen to shows like this. They're too busy trashing the CEO on Cafe Pharma. You are not a caretaker. You know you just can't work your way out of this current situation with more totals. No, you are an overtaker rep, a unique breed, not a case coverage person, a strategic, entrepreneurial, small business-minded man or woman. And I want to tell you from firsthand experience, your best days are ahead of you. Whether you remain in this field or not, I'm going to tell my audience the same thing I told a hire I never regretted. I am all about your success. If you can't find it in this industry, I'll help you find it somewhere else. You are the best of the best, and we here at Device Nation are here to encourage and cheer you on, help you in whatever way we can so that you achieve peak rep. Are you feeling the joy now? Well, I certainly am, and it brings me even greater joy introducing our next guest, Dr. Paul Fellers, Jr., founder of Bayside Medical Missions, working tirelessly to serve patients around the world alongside his amazing wife and RN, Floor Fellers. They've been putting amazing things under the tree for so many people for years. And I don't believe any of those things have put anybody's eye out. It is such an honor 
to bring their story to the world. Dr. Fellers, welcome, sir. It's good to be here. Dr. Fellers, it's such an honor to have you on a very special Surgeon Santa installment here at Device Nation. And so look forward to asking you about your life here in L.A., Lower Alabama, New Guinea, Kenya, Haiti, Ecuador, Bayside Medical Missions. I could keep going. But first, let's go back to Sumter, South Carolina, sir. What put you on the path to medicine and what was it like growing up in the, the Fellers household? Well, we moved around a lot. My dad at that point was at Shaw Air Force Base in the service and was transferred to Maxwell Field in Montgomery, Alabama. I was young then, and we got to high school where I moved to Jackson, Mississippi. Spent a couple years there before I graduated from Murrah High School there. We moved to Alexandria, Louisiana. From there, I ended up going to LSU in Baton Rouge for college. As far as medicine, there was nobody in my family in medicine at that time. Quite frankly, I was going to be a petroleum engineer at the time because I had an interest in that. But that all led to calculus and other things that I didn't excel in. So I figured, well, maybe the only thing I can do is medicine, a doctor. And so from there, I went to medical school in uh, New Orleans, which was great. I spent four years in medical school, but obtained my BS after my first year there with only three years in college. At what point at LSU, Dr. Fellows, did you say, you know what, I want to go into orthopedics? I worked for the LSU infirmary, and there was an orthopedist that would come once a week there, and he would examine some of the patients at LSU. This was in Baton Rouge, and it was very interesting to me. And I think that's what ended up leading me to, certainly to medicine, and then after graduating from LSU Medical School, I spent a year in Mobile, Alabama, doing an internship and going into a surgical residency. At that point, rotated through orthopedics and again, probably emanating from the previous experience I had with the infirmary, I decided to stick with orthopedics. It had a wide range of patients from children to adults and uh, the same with the surgeries. They were big surgeries and surgeries that required more meticulous procedures. And it was fun working with parents of children who were injured. I'd previously thought about pediatrics, but mainly I was, I left that out of my consideration. <laughs> Because usually you're treating the parents. So. <laughs> South Alabama residency. I believe there was a little detour in California, right? Yeah, I, d- I did a stint in California at Rancho Los Amigos. It's a rehabilitation center, which uh, my chief had arranged to go out there and spent time on crippled children. Rotation, spinal cord injury rotation, and cerebral palsy rotation, all of which I did not know at the time how it would help me in later years doing what I do now. But that was invaluable and has really, I've come to appreciate that opportunity. South Alabama, I was in that very facility just a few weeks ago. What was orthopedics like there in the early 70s? It was a good training program that they had. At that point, total joints were just coming out and most of the private doctors came over to help us, but but more to do the cases themselves, to learn how to do total joints. So it was kind of an interesting time of their learning as well as 
us in our training. Also, arthroscopy was soon to come out, and so we enjoyed that advent and change in orthopedics. On to the Great Lakes Naval Hospital, sir, as an orthopedic instructor. Thank you for your service there. What was your time like in Illinois? It was great. Vietnam War had just ended. There were a lot of casualties that came in with deformities. It was good experience, and I learned a lot at that interim time before my private practice. It was a meaningful two years in Great Lakes, Illinois. Any meaningful people on the educational journey that that kind of mentored you along the way? Many of the orthopedists there were in my same situation. They had just come out of their training. But we all had training a little bit different with emphases on different areas. And so we helped ourselves. We learned from each other. So, Doctor, we're looking out the back window here at this beautiful bay here in Fairhope, Alabama. 29 years of a private practice. Uh, As you look back, just any thoughts on, on your work here? I learned a lot during my private practice, as we all do, from experience, which just adds to only a foundation that we get in medical school. (laughs) The experience was great. I teased my hospital that they really helped me out learning improvision when they wouldn't get me what I needed as far as (laughs) instrumentation and whatnot. (laughs) And so that uh, that was kind of a joke, but it's a bit truthful. That's the thing on missions that you must improvise when you don't have uh, equipment. But, but we at Levita have been very fortunate to have a full armamentarium available for us. What was your favorite procedure to do while you were in practice here? I enjoyed sports. I enjoyed arthroscopic surgery, as I think we all do. Actually, in Fairhope, we became the first that were doing orthopedics in our area, and that included Mobile because my associate then, Dr. Bob Eubanks, trained at Arkansas where they were highly into the early arthroscopic surgeries. And so we tried to get our hospital to obtain arthroscopic equipment, and they did not get it at first and uh, didn't see the promise in it and so we had a hospital in Mobile to obtain it for us where we took our patients there and it was very successful there and the hospital soon saw that and and did get our equipment but um, that was after about a year or so. During this time my practice we would take a week off or, uh, to go on missions. You couldn't do that with private practice any longer than a week or so. But we enjoyed doing missions from the early onset of our practice. You stepped out of private practice and stepped right into full-time missions. And I know it didn't start there, and you just alluded to that. Tell us about your first missions trip and why you're doing it still to this day. Yeah, yeah, I would say this because of my first mission trip. You almost have to hit your leg and say, I'm going to do this. It's, the time is never right to go on missions. You've got the children playing soccer. You've got all kind of things going on. But uh, we decided to go to Haiti first. And once spending a week down there at a hospital in Bonfin that was well-equipped that Dr. Whitesides had put together and brought that hospital down to Haiti. And really, it got into my blood then, as it does most everyone when they take off and decide 
that they can do this uh, for a short period. And from then we would do, my associate and I had the same heart for missions, and so we would alternate and take care of each other's practice when we would leave for short periods every year. Finally, uh, about 20 years ago, I decided to just retire and do missions more closely by so we could spend longer times there and get more accomplished. And that's when the missions to Ecuador began. We got a hospital down there and it was built by Samaritan's Purse who handed it off to us as they don't administer these hospitals. And since that time, it has grown well. We've been very blessed to see it continually grow. La Vida Surgery Center in Puerto Viejo, Ecuador. Tell us how that whole thing got started and how hard was it to get resources to get it off the ground? And uh, there's a million questions. It took a while. We were invited down to help a foundation in Puerto Viejo, Foundation San Lucas, which for Puerto Ninos, just for kids. We went down there many times for a week or so, helping in that foundation. But we also saw a need for adults. And so we ultimately decided to contact a church down there who had property, a Missionary Alliance church, who agreed to let us use the property to put a surgical center up. And at the time we decided to do that, not shortly after, we got a call from Samaritan's Purse representative in South America, in Ecuador, and he said, we were going to do the same. It's a good area, we found out, and can we help you put it up? And so it didn't take long to say that would be great. My responsibility there at that time was to bring specialty groups down in orthopedics Uh, which included foot and ankle, total joints, sports medicine, congenital pediatric deformities, and trauma. And we would have different brigades or trips down from these various specialties whom I would seek out that would enjoy coming down and have a week of hand surgery, a week of pediatric reconstructions, a week of total joints, that includes knee and hip. Total shoulders were also done with the sports medicine doctors. And that has worked quite well to where we have about 12 brigades going down a week, repeating some of the specialties that need help. As a rep, I've been facilitating mission trips my entire career. People going on missions and needing metal and plastic. It struck me as I was putting this conversation together in my mind, that older subset of equipment is disappearing. And at some point now you're into the stuff that we're using now. It's got to be more challenging now getting equipment donated, isn't it? Yeah, it's always been a bit of a challenge, but there are people out there that really want to help in such situations. There are various corporations. Zimmer has donated all of our joints, that we do, shoulders, hips, and knees. They have been very faithful. We're now working on trying to get more trauma instruments filled out as we use them. That's been a little bit of a challenge. Dr. Fellers, let's leverage the power of this show. Sir, I know there's a rep out there that's got 15 small frag sets in their garage just collecting dust and thinking, how can I help? How can they help, sir? Yeah, I think the best way is to go to our website, which is 
BaysideMedicalMissions.org. And there we have contact information. Ultimately, that would be sent to different areas depending on the specialty involved. They can contact us through the email there and we can direct them as to whom to send it to. But yes, that would be much appreciated. Anything that can be help in orthopedics, those listening, I'm sure, know what that is. As you look back, I'm going to link to a YouTube video I saw this morning that was just a brief overview of some of the things that y'all have done there. Any notable cases, any notable families, anything that just jumps off the page at you? Yeah, there are many cases. There's one video on Herbieto. I don't know if you saw that one or not, but it's a fellow that has been crippled ever since he was a teenager from slip capital femoral epiphyses. And this particular video will show him later in his 50s got bilateral hip replacements. His first question after that is, when can I ride a donkey that he had? He's a farmer, as many are here in Ecuador. It was very touching. People in Ecuador are very appreciative of improvement. Another thing that we do is we have specialized wheelchairs that are not just your typical wheelchairs, but they're specialized for total body involved CP. And that gets them out of bed because they cannot sit up or walk without these wheelchairs. And they can be brought to the dining room table with the family in the evenings rather than food brought to the bed. I mean, it's life-changing. Just another service we do once or twice a year. Tell me about the need versus the resources that you have in place there. Are they far exceeded by what you can do and you have to triage your way through this? Or do you have enough help to basically get through the caseload of the patients that are showing up at your door? Well, basically how we work is we have a waiting list made for different problems hand problems that need tendon transfers and hand trauma put on a particular list. The pediatric cases are put on a list. All the other specialties I've mentioned earlier, we have then to schedule the time for the specialist to come down. And he will often bring a PA or his surgical assistant, his own CRNA or anesthesiologist. And so all the help comes with the brigade. We have sometimes our board members recruit. We have an anesthesiologist and a CRNA who recruits anesthesia if the surgeon doesn't want to bring his own or can't bring his own. So we have it all set up that the help is brought when the brigades come down. And then we have several weeks of post-op care and and whatnot, and they get good follow-up. This is not like a tenorate surgery when you come down. They're followed up by an in-staff orthopedist that we have there and an excellent staff of nurses and business staff there. So we're seeing patients all year round, 24-7. Even doing some acute surgeries, the orthopedists there will do acute surgeries if they need it in a timely manner before the brigades come down. Most of the surgeries are done during these brigades. We've got a lot of reps that listen to this show, Dr. Fellers. Is there any place for someone with our experience to come down and help out? You know, always. Any visitor that comes down is welcome. Many of the reps are capable in surgery, no surgical technique. 
We don't have extreme limitation there as far as some of the hospitals in the states do. So they're welcome to scrub on whatever specialty they may have an interest in. And I'm sure there are many that are capable of doing so. I remember when we could scrub in on cases here in the states, but those days are long gone. I'm sure it's a little bit more flexible once you cross the border. It is. We don't operate in a cavalier manner. Right. I mean, our standards are high there. Our ORs are equipped to proper air exchanges, positive pressure, all to the standards in the states. Also, the facility is built to the earthquake standards because that is the one problem we can often have. It becomes the triage center when an earthquake occurs. It's the 911 we get. You brought up earlier about the hospital not giving you the arthroscopy equipment that you wanted. And I distinctly remember working at a hospital earlier in my career. And one surgeon in the group would just go absolutely ballistic about what he didn't have available. And then there was another surgeon who just seemed to be as cool as a cucumber and would work with whatever was put in front of him. It struck me many years later that the only difference between those two guys was the cool as a cucumber routinely went on missions trips. And it always made me wonder, does working in a scenario where you you know you don't have every resource at your disposal, does it change you and make you a little bit more flexible? That's a good thought. It does. I mean, you have to at times, because you can't have everything. I will say, though, that Levita is well-equipped for the most part. But what we get is trauma that has been treated elsewhere. And so often in Ecuador, it might not be the best result not to put down their medicine because they have good medicine in Ecuador. But occasionally we'll get nails in there and other things that we don't know what they are and have to take them out and replace them and so you don't have the proper screwdrivers and other things so improvision is a good part i would say to your situation of the two surgeons there is a balance between the two sure if you just constantly settle for what you have which i don't think you're saying that about the cool cucumber but you want to get it you can do your best uh, for the patients and yet on the other hand (laughs) You've got to adjust if you have a situation that with the hospital is a bit slow in getting these things. And they have to watch their financial situations, too. So that, that's understood. What would be a real Christmas present for Bayside Medical Missions to receive? What, what's your most pressing need? Right now, it's in trauma. If we had a pediatric hip set, we often have to bend plates and make our own hip nail to go up into the neck and down the femoral shaft. We end up having to improvise there. We're always using up what we have, and so you mentioned something about the uh, small fragment and large fragment set, many fragment sets. Those are very helpful. That takes generosity back here at home. What's the most common deformity that you see in Ecuador? Pretty much the same as here. The only difference is we sit, we receive a lot of old fixations that are, have gone to non-union. Right. So we receive a lot of those. We receive a lot of infection, which is very common in third world countries, osteomyelitis. Ecuador is a developing country. You know, it's not a third world, but we still see a lot of uh, those conditions. The population there that we treat is the majority of the people. 
who cannot get access to the private doctors, which are available there, but they have not the funds to go there. And so we meet that niche of people, which is a relatively large niche. And then occasionally we we get found out by expats and other people that that we have quite the specialist coming down because they're all quality guys, and they'll want to take advantage of it, which we... We allow it's kind of, it's a bit of a Robin Hood type <laughs> type thing uh, where they do pay for a little bit of the expertise offered them, and that really helps as a whole the ministry. You know, I rattled off a bunch of countries uh, that you've been involved with over your career for missions work. I was just curious why you ended up settling in Ecuador. We were invited to Ecuador by friend who was a missionary in Guayaquil, and she invited us down to come and visit her, and I suggested maybe you can set up an orthopedic clinic, and somehow we can help them, and she arranged a hospital where we could do some corrections as well, and we came down, and so that started Ecuador. The main reason, as I mentioned earlier in, in regard to going to a place nearby is that we could go more often and for longer periods of time once I retired and we could develop the program where it would be um, more meaningful. My wife is from Cuba. She speaks Spanish fluently and this certainly was a good place for us to go. It's also in our time zone which is a little different from 12 hours to Kenya or Africa. By the time you finish going there, you're just getting over your jet lag to come back. Here is our same central time zone. It's occasionally central. It's occasionally eastern because they have no daylight savings time. So that changes. So we focused on this one area. And the reason for Ecuador is twofold. We were invited there. And the second reason is we saw the need in Ecuador for both pediatric corrections as well as adult help. Can you drink the water? Yes, we drink the water in a blue bottle. We don't drink the faucet water. Right. Never been there before. Is it a beautiful place uh, it really topographically? Is. It or? really is. You've heard of the Galapagos Islands. Yes. You know, people will take off and go there as part of the trip on occasion. Also in Peru, which is just south, is Machu Picchu, which is a real bucket list place to go. The uh, Inca ruins there, very special. And then in Ecuador itself, it has various altitudes throughout the country and many species of animals, uh, hummingbirds, uh, plants, vegetation. It is a special place to tour. Uh, it's uh, it's beautiful. I'm kind of a weather junkie of sorts. Uh, what's it like living in Ecuador? Is it just beautiful? Uh, is it hot, humid? What's it like? Ecuador, interestingly, while it's just... You know, Ecuador comes from equator. The equator runs through there in Quito. It has very little humidity on the coast. And we have a home in Crucita, which is where the guest house is. That's where everybody stays when they go down. And it's right on the Pacific and um, 30 minutes from the facility that we work in. The climate is beautiful with uh, balmy breezes. I mean every time of the year. I'm going to assume here that with four children and 12 grandchildren that expat is not in your future. No, no, it's not. In fact, in our future, we, we 
hope to spend more time here. We're we're 50% of our time in La Vida normally and 50% here. We're at the point where we're transitioning a little due to our ages. We're in the 70s. But I will always have a part down there. But uh, we are transitioning so we can have more time with our grandchildren here. Dr. Fellers, you mentioned PT as a big need earlier in that area. Share. Right now, uh, we have a physical therapist we refer to, but it's nothing like having an in-house physical therapist that we can follow very closely. And what I'm praying for is a physical therapist, someone who has a heart for Latin America and is capable of coming down to do missions in Ecuador, even to the point of full-time missions there. You'd have to have certain qualifications for that or life situations to come down full-time, but physical therapists that can come down and help even train if we can get a new graduate from Ecuador who speaks Spanish, they could help train that person. That's our other option. But I do want to throw out that uh, if someone who speaks Spanish, bilingual, they would be very welcome to come down and check it out. So, Dr. Fellers, the only Spanish phrase that I know is tu madre es una piña, which is probably just going to get me in a fight if all you know is English. Can you get around Ecuador? Yeah, I mean, you can. I don't speak it fluently, and I, I know the word for pain and where. And that's about all. And then I can examine them. And I know a little bit more than that. But we have translators for anyone that doesn't speak English. I only mention that about the physical therapist, because if they're moving down, I think they don't want to have to learn the language. And they they will be dealing one-on-one with the patients. But as far as anyone, anyone who wants to come down, uh, we always have translators for the, for them, any visitors. So anyone in the hearing of this podcast uh, does not have to speak Spanish to go down and enjoy it. It would be a very special week as it is really for most people going down. Well, Dr. Fellers, as we transition back to the States for just a second, is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Any Rotarian knows two parts to the four-way test. A lot of time and recognition at the Rotary Club. Tell us about the organization and why you've been part of it for so many years. It's been a long time I was in Rotary, and sure, the four-way test is admirable to follow. With service comes gratitude for those that are served, but I think we're designed such that it gives us a great sense of gratitude and contentment to help others, and that's that's something we all find. Rotary has helped a lot. In fact, they've given support on a yearly basis. I'm very appreciative of the group. Tell us about your most memorable case. Well, there were a lot, but the first thing that comes to mind, often we pray for those that are having surgery when we feel it's acceptable to the patient. We're very sensitive about that, not throwing it on everyone, but one time I wasn't apparently sensitive when I went up. I had a fractured hip come in, and they were on the second floor, and I went up there, and I mentioned to him, you know, we pray for our meals, you know, have blessings. You know, I can't think of a better time to pray than for your surgery in the morning. And he suddenly said, am I going to die? <laughs> he was 
he was Catholic and uh, thought I was given the last rites or something. I don't, I don't quite get. But anyway, that was, and that shouldn't probably be my most memorable case. But it was, it is something that popped up one time. You mentioned to me, Kevin, about a magnet that you thought of to get out some lost piece of instrument that broke off in surgery. Well, I had a piece of a grasper doing some spine work that the end of it, it was a delicate instrument, broke off and it was in the canal. I remember praying that this thing would surface because (laughs) that could have been detrimental as far as pressure on nerves and cauticoina. Anyway, it floated up to the top. That was an answer to prayer. My most memorable times are in the ER when little kids would come in, crocodile tears, and the mom also in tears with the arm, the forearm all bent to 45 degrees and with a two-bone forearm fracture, and numbing that up and reducing it and gaining the confidence of the kid and the mom is always a challenge for us, and I still find working with children a lot of fun gaining their confidence. And I might add here, these are the same type cases we see in missions. When I spent a year in Kenya, the Maasai would come in in their dress and lack of dress often. Their little kid with a broken arm, angled, a a fractured femur, and mom would be crying. The amazing thing to me are not the cultural differences, but the similarities of people all over. They have the same emotions. Their little child is hurting. Help him, please. And that's kind of what blows me away and and what I really enjoy. And and in so doing, they need the same God we need. You know, they have the same exact needs. We try to share that important component with them when opportunities arise. So, Dr. Fellers, I know Bayside is a faith-based organization. Uh, What does that look like for somebody coming down? Do they need to be a certain denomination? Do they need to be, you know, what does that look like? We welcome everybody to come down. We don't have a stipulation such as they need to be of any particular faith. We want them to know, though, that we are a Christian-based organization or ministry. At the same time, we welcome anyone to come down of any faith, Muslim, uh, Jewish. All people are welcome to Levita. We are uh, operating under Christian principles, which are often the same as as other faiths, um, and uh, but we aren't obnoxious about <laughs> about our. Uh, while we're serious about our convictions of the Christian teachings, we uh, respect all who come down. Well, I'm probably going the opposite of Christian here for a second, but uh, does the word Dracula mean anything to you? Yeah, that was in the merch room uh, when I was uh, training, and uh, I heard a crash, and this will tell you how old it is. It was an IV bottle that was thrown down to the ground, shattered, and I walked out, and the first thing I saw, I was in the resting room for the on-call ER doctor. I was doing that for some extra funds for uh, my training. Anyway, the first thing I saw was the guard leaving the ER room. He was running away, and and out from one room came this huge guy. He was walking like like a monster, you know, his arms straight down, and he's got his IV hanging down, dripping in blood, and uh, 
And I walked out there, and I remember looking up at him and put my hands on his shoulder. He was a diabetic in a hypoglycemic uh, situation. He was real confused. But anyway, he was saying, I am Dracula. And, uh, oh and I put my arms on his shoulder and tried to say, you've got to hold down. And all of a sudden, after he said, I am Dracula again, his head went down and he bit my neck. I pushed him back up, and I didn't realize this, but I lead with my left hand, and it was like hitting a home run. I mean, it was just no feeling whatsoever in it. The guy went against the wall, slivered down to the ground. It was what we often want to do in the ER anyway. <laughs> but I had, this was a self-defense thing. The hardest part of the whole thing is going home and explaining this red thing on my neck to Floor, my wife. And that it was in telling her this Dracula story. Wear sterile garlic when you need it. <laughs> Yet another thing that the hospitals won't provide for their surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dr. Fellers, you've got quite a distinguished career. And I was just curious, any advice to young surgeons just getting going here as we come into 2023 from a medical missions perspective? The answer came very quickly to me, and that is take advantage of such a trip early. We take residents down to train them, but but it's a totally different experience that you wouldn't think you, you would obtain by seeing another culture and the similarities that I mentioned earlier. The, anyway, it gets in your blood how you're helping them and the gratification they return to you for anything. My advice to an early surgeon is, yes, your family is priority, but do this for yourself and for them, is try to go as early as you can and as late as you can. It's never too late to go on a mission trip. We enjoyed taking our children that were of age to all of our trips, and they benefited so much by this. It just adds another facet to their their makeup of having gone to a foreign country and whatnot. So that would be my advice, yeah. Well, Dr. Fellers, I can't tie this interview up without asking you about your wonderful dog that greeted me at the door and who serenaded us throughout this interview. I have never seen this breed before. you got to tell me about this animal. It's a special breed. We found him in Ecuador crossing a street, which I thought was a little rat, a big rat. And it was this little puppy that crossed the street, and we could see it soon to get hit by a car. So we got him in the car, still had puppy breath on him, but it was lost from his mother. So we decided to keep him, and it turned out to be an Ecuadorian chola. Sounds fancy. Yeah, and so we, we would tell everybody when we brought him home that we've got an Ecuadorian chola. Now, chola is a stray dog mix, mutt. That's what they call them in Ecuador. Not so fancy. Cholas. And, uh, but we use that word because it, 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 you're right, it does sound fancy that we've got this breed. And we have one girl who always wants details, and so she Googled cholas and tried to find out this, this breed, but was unsuccessful in finding out. We, had, we finally told her. But uh, sweetest dog little Ecuadorian dog. She acts as a guard dog, as 
as you know, Kevin, she'll bark when anybody comes up, but she's sweet as she can be. She certainly announced my presence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Well, what's next? What's next for Dr. Fellows? Next, and what we're in the middle of is transition a little bit. We're delegating our responsibilities, which we've had over the past 20 years, to others. and uh, But we'll always be around for Ecuador, which is still our focus. We want to spend more time with our great-grandchildren and grandchildren and whatnot during this season. Be glad to talk to anyone who has an interest in this particular ministry of La Vida. Well, Dr. Fellers, I love word origin, sir, and I had to look up your name. It turns out the surname Fellers has a UK history to it and was a name for a friend. I thought that was really cool. That's new to me. So. So you, sir, have been that friend to so many patients, both locally and around the world. And I just wanted to thank you for your service. You're very welcome. It's almost a selfish thing when you do it, you know, the gratitude you get from it. And and really, that's not false humility or humility or anything. It's just reality. You know, it's just when you serve, you it's, it's the way I think God wanted us to be when we get an opportunity. Thank you again, Dr. Fellers. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it. And there you are, Dr. Paul Fellers, unanimously voted Surgeon Santa at Device Nation here in 2022. Although how he gets all those implants down the chimney is truly a Christmas miracle. A real teachable moment when he talked about the necessity for improvisation when operating in developing countries. So it is with us. By the way, if one more person says, I'll see you next year, I will go certifiably insane. So as we peer into 2023, I look forward to improvising with you as we carve a path out for success together. Don't let go of that joy. You earned it. And I think it appropriate as we reflect on all the inventory challenges this past year that I leave you with this. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all and to all a six right.